when you start working with governments, always look at it from a long-term view. You know, especially now when you're looking at smart cities, because governments are very focused on building innovation excellence. They're focused on country economic growth. They're focused on creating catapults of innovation, right? Work with them. Yes, it is going to look like it's going to be a long drawn process. Think of you as helping them first crawl, walk, and then run. Because when they run, you will run with them as well, which is great. Because if you don't do that and you just want to focus on your business and just make, you know, your next $10 million revenue from this customer, you will make that, but you're not going to make that $100 million customer. This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting-edge technology, influential global tech layers, and Taiwan. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from Asianometry. I'm your guest host for today. And I'm here today with Jay Chanden, Chairman and CEO of Gorilla Technology. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me. Jay is dialing in from London. So uh, what time is it over there? Uh, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's three minutes past nine. All right. Getting the day started off right with talking to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Tell me a bit about your background and that of Gorilla Technology. Like, uh, how did you come to be where you are and like, what brought you here? Once again, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited and I've, I've seen your podcast before. I think, um, very enlightening. And when, um, our IR came to me and talked to me about your podcast, I was excited. So just to give you by way of background, I was an engineer by profession, started out very young, built my first company in Southeast Asia sold that business and then went to, you know, take another company based out of the U.S., which we went public on the NASDAQ, post which I've been in investments uh, for the better part of 15 years. We've got a little, invested in a little over 200 plus companies and we were excited about the market until, you know, 2020 happened. And during the 2020, you know, what we call the lockdown, we decided to spin off a SPAC and that SPAC culminated into us taking Gorilla public as a company. Gorilla technology uh, predominantly has been focused on video analytics, but today it's a very different business. Now, we know we all know about disruptive technologies, right? I mean, this, it's just look at us. You're in, we're in two different parts of the world. The way it has revolutionized the way we communicate, we work, we shop, we travel. Now, intelligent products are everywhere. You know, you've got chatbots, you've got autonomous vehicles predicting consumer behavior, you've got detecting financial fraud, cancer diagnostics, and even crop harvesting. So we realized that we were focused on on a very small market. Why can't we expand? That? And so when we did that, it was talking all about, you know, AI, cybersecurity, video analytics, smart cities. Now, when smart cities hit us in the beginning of kind of July 2022, just when we went public, we realized it was a very simple concept, right? I mean, everybody talks about smart cities, but at the end of the day, you know, let me try and make it as genuine as possible. It is a very complex solution, right? It's not about just putting a few solutions in there and making it smart. No, it's about making your citizens smarter. It may, it's about making your citizens safer. So typically when somebody talks about smart city, for me, the most important thing is I look at it from a different perspective. I look at it from three angles, improving quality of life, economic competitiveness, creating economic competitiveness, but more importantly, creating sustainability, which means to make sure that there's economic growth and the quality of life are not just promoted for our generations, but for the future generations. So thus being a good steward of the environment and promoting sustainable consumption, that is very important for us. So Gorilla today has built an entire platform focused on data, analytics, and cybersecurity. 
And we call that as platform as a service. Our customers became very attached to that. And now they're talking about outsourcing their entire operations. So Gorilla today has two revenue sources, platform as a service and what we call as operations as a service. So that's kind of the you know, high level background about what Gorilla is and what we do today. Interesting. So this is a kind of a service trying to implement the vision of Smart City, or is that more kind of like a platform to help other organizations to go to Smart City itself? It is both. So we can go to the whole process of consulting. It's about the digitization. It's the process of digitization. We can handhold the customer. Okay, there are two types of customers. Customers who know it all and customers who are you know, completely clueless, right? So we come in and help both customers. In fact, a lot of these customers are completely clueless because everybody wants to boil the ocean, right? We're talking about boiling the kettle. Let's boil the kettle. Make sure that there's an ROI. And once you have your ROI... Let's go to your stakeholders and get a bigger budget and a better implementation schedule so that we're able to transform the city, the lives of the people, not just put in a few cameras and say, thank you very much. So how does this sort of scale work then? Like what is kind of the blueprint for like your average normal city that may maybe 100,000 people or so? And I guess you're talking to the city administrators or kind of whatever department is working with this. Like, what do you pitch to them? Like, how do you get them started? Well, typically, interestingly, you know, we've always been approached by businesses or governments. So we have two sets of customers, the B2G and the B2B, as we call it, the business to business and the business to government. Governments have always reached out to us. And there's word of mouth. I mean, we've been in the business for 22 years. So people know our story, first of all. But more importantly, when people look at the what we call an RFI or an RFP in the market, it has Gorilla's name on it. Now, there are, again, typically two ways we approach a customer. The first one is through a very simple proof of concept. Typically, customers are now becoming much more smarter. They're no longer interested in spending $25 million on something that will not work. Okay, They want to spend $250,000 or half a million dollars or a million dollars and say, can I try and fail? And can I fail fast? Right? If it's successful, guess what? They've not burned down all the money and they're not in the bad books of their management. That's one. Secondly, this enterprises come to us through our channel relationships with them. They've already built the what we call the scale with the customers. No, we can't. Like we've got enterprise customers who we have relationships through some of the big top five big tech companies on the planet. The issue being these guys already have the marketing dollars to spend. Gorilla is a small company. We don't have that kind of marketing dollars to spend. So we piggyback on a channel relationships so that we can, you know, make sure that our marketing dollars go far and farther and wider. So when a customer comes to us in our government side, they typically kind of know what they want to do. And we just handle them to the process through a consulting assignment initially, which could either be a simple consulting assignment or a proof of concept, a building a proof of concept. And so this proof of concept, what product does this usually look like, especially when you're kind of moving out of video analytics? Okay, couple of things here. One of the most important is video analytics is a big part of our business. Right. A lot of these customers want to come to us and talk to us about building proof of concept. But when you talk about cybersecurity, what it actually means is, you know, one lawful interception, right? Understanding the requirements. Now, for example, we've, we've currently been involved in, in a f- implementation of a 5G network for lawful interception. Now, not many companies on the planet can, are capable of doing that. And we've actually been successful in deploying it in two other customers. And this is our third customer. And this is for one of the large law enforcement agencies in Taiwan, by the way. It's a multi-million dollar project. Now, the idea behind that is, you know, we're using 5G networks as a legal means to specific security requirements. Now, to use this, we're allowing authorities or authorized authorities 
to perform what we call interception of communication traffic for specific users, including activation, deactivation, interrogation procedures, and so on and so forth. So by doing so, we're able to help, you know, what lawful interception on a regional jurisdiction and a national jurisdiction. So all your national regulations will apply. They will make define certain requirements, how to handle users location, interception across boundaries, and so on and so forth. So it depends from client to client. There is no one size fits all in this case. And most customers always come to us with a problem. We try and address the problem. 99.9% of our customers always have had a problem and they've come to us with a problem and we're able to solve the problem. Again, John, when someone comes to us and says, hey, have you got a case study? We don't have a case study. We have a reference country called Taiwan. So it's really a very broad scope that you've kind of now made available to you a whole variety of tools that you can kind of help and work with customers to help in this cybersecurity objective. Am I getting this right? You're absolutely right. So we've divided this into three buckets, as I said previously. So it's data, which is, you know, analytics, live and post-event video, which is obviously something we are very proud of. And then most importantly, our cybersecurity. And each of them actually has a bunch of products under them. So, for example, I talked about lawful interception. I'm talking about SOC. We have our own SOC solution for our customers where we can build maintain and manage the SOC for the customer. We're building air gap networks. I think you've seen recently, we signed a very large project in the Middle East to a tune up on more 270 million US dollars. And there we're building an air gap network for the customer. That's completely unique. You know, we built air gap networks for the governments in Taiwan and so on, and other governments outside of Southeast Asia even. But this is the first time we're doing something in the Middle East and North Africa. And what's this network? Air gap? I didn't hear it. Air gap. So air gapping is a concept where you create some sort of a gap between the computers and the other networks. So typically what it means is that the computer or network is not connected to an internet. Okay. So we're physically sitting down in front of a computer with no way to to access an air gap network. So they're completely closed. So the concept behind an air gap is very simple. It provides what we call as complete isolation between two networks so that no malicious actors can access any sensitive information or no one system is connected to the other. And this has been used for decades, by the way, by military, government organizations, nuclear power plants, aviation computers, for example, you know, avionics, FDACs, military computers, industrial automation, and payment networks and so on. And so this is a very specialized task. There are very few companies on the planet can do that. We've been doing that for the last seven to eight years and we've been very successful. And so when the government of Egypt came to us, they actually built the proof of concept. They sat in our offices in Taiwan, by the way, all credit to the Taiwanese, and built the proof of concept for eight months. And then they realized that Gorilla was absolutely positioned to take on the entire project. How did the Gorilla technology get started on this kind of cybersecurity angle within Taiwan? Like what's this sort of industry life here in Taiwan? It's still nascent. You know, the biggest issue we have with cybersecurity, and everybody talks about cybersecurity, the biggest issue we have today is that it is recognized as a serious risk, but only about a handful, I think it's about 15 or 16 percent of the organizations actually feel adequately prepared to mitigate a cyber threat. And I think this was a survey by one of the big names, I think, was it Axis or someone? I think it was by Axis, if I'm not wrong. It was a survey done by Axis that they blame their vulnerabilities on legacy systems systems and threats coming from the new IoT uh, devices. So from my perspective, when I actually look at a network, for me, the most important thing is every single customer who comes to me every morning, Jay, how do I secure my digital and operational footprint? 
Can I get increased visibility, but can you help me prevent any cyber attacks across my networks, which we call security convergence, your IoT meets OT meets IT, right? And the the reason why they do that is because there's an increasing threat across every single environment today because all these environments are converged. There's no single standalone environment anymore. So the threat posed by any such movement of, let's say, a malicious attack can cause breaches not just on a single environment, but across loss of control across all environments and assets. And that's how we kind of, you know, come in. That, that's where we come in. So two customers, typically, we go in and talk to them about their national security infrastructure, what lays there today what their legacy system looks like, and what is it they're interested in building. You know, we want to look into that crystal ball because you cannot implement, nobody can implement a full-fledged, foolproof system today. It is just impossible, right? So we come in and tell the customer, okay, what is your pain point? Let us focus on that. Like, for example, the Egyptian government, it was about creating the network, the air gap network. They wanted to make sure that their data remained within that network and within their country. And all communication, whether it was an email, whether it was a document, whether it was voice, it was all secured on a single password. And what standards or how did you bring this expertise, especially when you're talking about things that your organization might be new to? Like, how did you bring in this new expertise and kind of integrate this all together to create something that's like really special and differentiated? So Gorilla as a business has been, you know, in the cybersecurity space for about 20, since 2018, 2019. But the products, obviously, when I came in and I came in as chairman of the business in July of 2022, I took over as CEO in September of 2022, right? For me, the most important was what are my missing links? What am I missing within the business? So we hired a very strong team. My CTO, by the way, has nearly two decades of experience at Microsoft. Prior to that, he was with IBM Trilogy and so on and so forth. So it's about 28 years of experience. My global head of customer success was a former Cisco guy from India. He'd been with Cisco for nearly 25 years. So we're bringing the right people in so that we can look at what we have internally and what we can build up. We have what we call the R&D team, which is separate. We have R&D teams in Taiwan. We've got an R&D team in India, and we've got an R&D team in the United Kingdom. We have a global customer success in Taiwan, in UK, India, and we're building one in Egypt right now as we speak. And we're looking at Egypt to becoming a hub for us for the MENA regions especially. So the R&D is all about what are my missing links? What can I build? What can I outsource? And what can I buy? So if you look at Gorilla, we've been very active in the market in terms of both organic as well as inorganic growth. So we're looking in the market, we're very active in the market, looking at technologies which we think will change the phase going forward from between, let's say, 24 to 30. And we want to be at abreast of our competition at that point of time. That's a strategy. And how has the transition to being a public company sort of affected or helps you in that mission? Um, if I'm being honest, it's not for the faint of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> That is an absolute truth. I mean, if you do not have the balls to actually run a public company, I would advise not anybody to take the company public. It requires a lot of work. But that said, it has given us a lot of visibility. It has allowed us to actually look forward. It has allowed us to meet with customers, which has never even looked up at us. It has allowed us to penetrate governments because now they feel confident being a publicly listed company in the United States that we will adhere to, you know, to all the anti-corruption laws. They will adhere to what we call as being, you know, entrepreneur innovation friendly. We will adhere to all the HR policies globally, GDPR standards, international regulatory standards. So now there's an element of trust and that is important for us. And we believe that that element of trust has exponentially grown since we have actually become public as a company. But again, 
it is not for the faint of the hearted. When you were running this back and looking to take Gorilla, what was it about Gorilla that stood out to you that has all this potential and has this kind of chance to take this new step to be in a public company? So from my perspective, when I mean, we've invested in tons and tons of businesses. I've ran businesses myself. For me, when I look at that, I look at it from the angle of globalization and productization. Okay, globalization is important for me because if I cannot take a small niche Taiwanese business, which has got the, you know, it's got the product, it's got the makings of a bigger business, it needs a lot of work. We need to build up the product. We need to then globalize the product and build success stories with customers. So that was very important for me. The second was productization. What do I have today? Is my foundation very strong? If the foundation is strong, I can build my building on it, right? If the foundation is weak and the software, the technologies are weak and customers will lose out in the future, we are absolutely screwed. But more importantly, if my both my globalization and my productization strategies are correct, my customer satisfaction will be absolute. For me, the most important thing about all is I make sure that my customer wins. You know, if the customer does not win, guess what? I've lost my reputation. And if I've lost my reputation, there's no point in having a gorilla at the end of the day. So in line with those goals, what were the first things you wanted to achieve in your first couple months or even quarters or years as like uh, running gorilla? So the first most important thing was what are the markets that are available to us? You know, we had to do our research. I just didn't want to do a spray and a pray, right? Many people, they'll, they've got this business and they'll suddenly say, oh, let me go to the United States, right? They'll burn in cash, boom, and they're gone. They'll suddenly come out and say, oh, I need to either raise more cash or I'm burning and I'm never going to be EBITDA positive or cash flow positive, okay? My second most important, I have to be cash positive. If my business is not going to be cash positive, I cannot see my path to being cash positive in the next couple of years. Guess what? I have failed and I need to quit. That was very important for me. So the first quarter, the first two quarters, we analyzed the business. We understood what customers were important, what customers were bleeding cash. So we had to make sure that we were able to optimize the business. We were able to optimize the resources. Then we did an analysis of what markets were available to us. So we looked at Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, obviously Taiwan is our bread and butter, Japan, United States, Europe, South America, North Africa, and of course the United Kingdom. Now, one of the important features for us was being in Taiwan was important, but at the end of the day, were we able to conform to some international standards? Were we able to kind of, you know, move to another region where we are able to, you know, set up a business much more easily? create an, an international economy across diverse sectors, access an international workforce that is important for us, and a good business infrastructure. So UK became kind of the pinnacle for us. We moved our headquarters from Taiwan to the UK, but we didn't move our R&D and our customer success. It's still true to our business. But then we started putting in what we call as laying our flags. We went to each of these markets where we had our relationships and our connections and started talking to some key customers. I mean, like I said, our strategy is land and expand. So we wanted to get those key customers, customer wins, and then expand, right? Build your ARR, MRR, and then finally, you know, talk about your viral radiate across the regions. So when we looked at the first two quarters, for me, it was about, can I get to being cash positive by 24? And what is my path to that? We drew a linear path to that. Yes, there are going to be changes. It was not going to be first quarter, it's going to be second quarter, but 2024 was the absolute. My CFO and I work on a daily basis to make sure that we are going to adhere to that. And as you've seen from our press releases recently, we are aiming to be cash positive second half of next year. So we are on path to that. Secondly, 
we wanted to make sure that we were able to target, you know, triple digit revenue numbers and make sure that our path to profitability was not just focused on, you know, trying to sell customers, you know, BS. It was making sure that the customers succeeded and that the customers came in and gave us repeat business. That was very important for us. So we've built that successfully in the last year and uh, two months. Our customers are coming back to us and saying, here's a bigger project. I want to give you more. They're happy, which means your customers are happy. They're successful. We're also now targeting larger customers. We wanted to go from, let's say, our you know, bread and butter used to be between quarter million to $5 million. If you look at two of our big deals we've signed, one is $21 million, the other one is $270 million. Now suddenly cities are inviting us and saying, hey, there's a $100 million deal. Banks are talking to us about $25, $50 million deals. So now we're going into the path of you know bigger, stronger, and better deals as well. So that was my focus for the first two quarters um, to say we've been quite successful at doing that today. It really gives, I think it gives a sense of just how strong the product is in Taiwan. It just seems like it hasn't been able to kind of go global for some reason. Why do you think it hasn't been able to do that before? I wouldn't say it hasn't gone global. Listen, at the end of the day, the management does what the management does, right? You've got a management which is focused in Taiwan, born and brought up in Taiwan, educated in the United States. They're focused on Taiwan. They did really well. I mean, by the way, don't get me wrong. Every part of Taiwan uses their technology. That's absolutely a phenomenal achievement. But globalization is a different animal. It is not for everybody, right? You've been in the space for long. You know this. People tend to defocus. They think globalizing their business or globalization will bring them huge revenues, which means they can increase their valuation, which means they can get you know, more cha-ching into their pocket. That's not the way we look at it. Right. For us, it's about globalizing because we can expand our product portfolio. I can get bigger, better customers. More importantly, I'm able to then measure my path to being cash positive. So it is with one Lego brick at a time for me. It's not about, like I said, no spray and pray approach here. So if you ask me the same question in a couple of years in 2025, I will still tell you the same thing because we're focused on these seven, eight regions, and that's about it. Were there any changes that you have to make to the product itself? What are more for localization purposes to kind of adapt them to the to the certain region? And were those kind of difficult changes to make? No, not at all. See, what we do is very unique, not just to the Taiwan market. It is unique to every single government agency. See, government agencies across the world have the same pain point. It may change slightly, it may vary slightly from country to country, but the core problem remains the same. The vulnerabilities are always the same, right? The concept of the convergence of the physical and the cyber world is happening globally. It's not specific to Taiwan or United States or United Kingdom. So think of it this way. Smart cities are complex ecosystems where people your assets, your devices, your processes are all integrated on a single system. At the end of the day, there are very few people on the planet who can actually integrate and provide services for smart cities today. And we're all competing for the same pie and we've all got similar solutions. So how can I be better? I can be better by properly helping the customer analyze his issues on time, mitigate their issues on time or on schedule, but more importantly, help them optimize their business and operate normally and continuously. That's a key word for me. The customer's business should never be non-continuous. It shouldn't fail for a single minute. 
you mentioned that and like um, the reliability of the solution. Were there any other parts about what has been implemented in Taiwan that Gorilla hasn't been able to do in Taiwan that really stood out to customers and what they really admired about the final package or the goal that they want for themselves? You know, the cyber threats are evolving and it's not specific to Taiwan, but there are certain cyber threats which are more acute in certain other countries as opposed to Taiwan. Right. I mean, obviously, Taiwan has a very strong policy and process and they've put these, you know, in place. Some countries don't have it. So we have to have rewind this picture and play it from the start. So there is some rewinding happening in certain countries, certain developing countries. You know, for me, when I look at cybersecurity, I feel that the advances we've made in certain countries like Japan, United States, some parts of Europe, UK and Taiwan, for example, are very different to some of the requirements coming in from the developing regions, which are more basic. For example, setting up a SOC. Not many people actually have a SOC. How can you build a SOC? How can you leverage, you know, your, your data centers to have very tight access policies in place, right? Shared responsibility. What does your public services uh, security look like? What does your vulnerability look like? What does your threat assessment look like? Because remember, there is a new breed of cyber criminals always looking to steal and sell, but they evolve differently as well. And so we have to be prepared on both ends of the spectrum. Gorilla started out in Taiwan, it was just in Taiwan, and now operations in the UK, India, Taiwan, like how has been the challenge between balancing all those different organizations? Well, there are two challenges, one from a professional front and from a personal front, the professional side of it or the business side of it. Obviously, we need to raise more money as capital, which is important for us. And when I say capital, because we're not saying we're going to be burning cash. And I said, I'd be very clear, we're going to be cash positive next year. But the idea for me was we were anticipating to grow at a certain pace. We're growing at a different pace. This year, we'll be about 300% plus of last year's revenue. That needs more cash. Our projects are bigger, much bigger. You know, to support a $270 million project, we have cash. By the way, we have ample cash to support the business on a day-to-day basis, on a normalized basis. But when you put this anomaly of such a large project, you will need cash. So we went out in the market and raised cash, right? That's one challenge. Secondly, hiring the right people. If I couldn't find the right people, guess what? The business is bound to fail. So it is all about making sure that the people are absolutely the vital organs to this business. So we made sure we spent more time hiring the right people than trying to just hire people for the sake of hiring people. And I can proudly tell you the people we have today are the best we have. I could have ever hoped for. I couldn't think of anybody better with this business today. And you mentioned a personal challenge? Oh, sorry. On the personal side, I've spent more time on the plane in different countries, which has not been helpful with my wife. She's uh, obviously, she's supportive, but I don't think so it's fair from my part. I've spent now, I just calculated the other day, 220 days out of the last 365 on a plane. So uh, my wife is, she's supportive, but I have to do better. And so hopefully over the next um, two or three years, I'll be able to kind of, you know, minimize that with the right, you know, we've built the right teams. And so the teams will slowly start, you know, taking over their responsibilities and so on and so forth. What are some of the kind of the strengths that you found with working with Taiwanese, especially you mentioned that Taiwan R&D is still in Taiwan. Like what's been some of the strengths you have working there? When I came to Taiwan first, even before I came to Taiwan, I started talking to all the key people within the business and we were in peak COVID at that point of time. See, for me, the Taiwanese workers and engineers are often recognized 
for their strong work ethic, dedication and technical proficiency. But the reason I say strong work ethic is when I speak to, you know, my team like Alan or Felix on the team, they are absolutely committed. I give them a task. I don't have to ask them again. That's the beauty about it. I don't have to nudge them and say, hey, what's happening? They'll be like, oh, this is done. Here's the report. I love that. That's how your business should be operated. It's standardized. The education system in Taiwan also, you know, it emphasizes on, you know, on the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And they are producing a bunch of skilled professionals in areas of, you know, technology, AI, manufacturing, electronics, and so on and so forth. Also, one thing which I really love about the Taiwanese is that as individuals, they also come together to form teams and they work in teams. There's a teamwork, which is very important. They all come together, they work together cohesively, and there's harmony in the workplace all the time. There's no kind of, hey, he's my boss, but I want to badmouth him. Nobody talks behind the back. It's absolutely amazing. It's great. One thing I've noticed is communication is indirect because confrontation is generally avoided, right? They don't like confrontation, uh, which is great. But I would prefer the communication to be direct. Now you've spoken to me for the last, what, 33 minutes. I'm more communicative, so it's more indirect. But there's also a very strong emphasis on a good work-life balance. I've always made it very clear to every single employee in this company, whether it's Taiwanese, India, UK, Egypt, does not matter where they are sitting. The work-life balance has to be, yes, we are going through challenges today. We're going through changes today. We work a lot more than I would like people to do. But those are the teething issues of a growing business. Everybody's commitment will help build Gorilla as an international business, as a global business. But at the end of the day, the work-life balance is very important. What does the future hold for Gorilla? What is your vision for this company? You mentioned 2025 and like, what's your vision for this company down the line? I'm going to sound like a broken record. Um, I said the same thing pre-IPO. I said, I will make this company a $5 billion business in market cap. I will take it. By 25, we will be a $5 billion business. We've done this many times before for my own business and, you know, and for some of the businesses we've invested in. No reason why we can't do it now. But that said, when I say the market cap, I also own a very specifically, I want to be one of the top five vendors on the planet. When somebody thinks about smart city, I want to be on that RFI and RFP, regardless. You know, for every 10 RFPs which are being generated in these countries we are, I want to be on nine of them. That's my objective. And today, Touchwood, we are there on, let's say, five or six of them already. We've been called almost, I mean, my phone's ringing off the hook for new projects where we are able to refuse customers and say, unfortunately, we're not interested. We just don't have the bandwidth all the time. And some of them are also out of our focus areas and focus regions. We don't want to defocus. So true to my word, I think 2025 is where we'll be. We'll be at a kind of, the, you know, 5 billion plus valuation as a business. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything else we'd like our viewers or our listeners to know? Anything you want to pitch? Well, I'm not pitching anything. Uh, I've pitched enough to the to the governments. But John, first of all, I really appreciate you having me and Gorilla on your podcast. I'd be delighted to do it again whenever you feel you want us. But just one one word of caution, which I want to leave with all your viewers, and it's also probably maybe an advice as well, is that when you start working with governments, always look at it from a long-term view. You know, especially now when you're looking at smart cities, because governments are very focused on building innovation excellence. They're focused on country economic growth. They're focused on creating catapults of innovation, right? Work with them. Yes, it is going to look like it's going to be a long drawn process. Think of you as helping them first crawl, walk, and then run. Because when they run, you will run with them as well, which is great. Because if you don't do that and you just want to focus on your business and just make, you know, your next $10 million revenue from this customer, you will make that. 
but you're not going to make that a hundred million dollar customer. That's what I'll leave with you if that's okay with you. No, that's amazing advice. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, John.